Revelation chapter 3. We're ready for the church in Philadelphia. We're almost through. Wow, I didn't know I had a, had a cheering crowd. It's a new year and people like me. <laughs> All right, so silence your cell phones. <laughs> All right, we're starting off great. <laughs> Revelation 3. Uh, church in Philadelphia will be in verse 7. Uh, as we uh, get started today. Revelation 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about impatient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. New Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. All right. So same thing that we've been seeing in this format in the seven churches of a Jesus self-description then uh, a knowledge of what's going on, some sort of commending, some sort of condemning, and then directions about what they're supposed to do. So uh, tell me about uh, this self-description and what we see going on with uh, what Jesus calls himself and why that seems to fit into uh, this letter. Debbie? Well, the self-description didn't match up with anything in chapter 1. Oh, It does. And uh, that was talking about Eliakim, mm-hmm. uh, who was given this key of David when uh, God judged uh, Judah. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, so to me, that would mean that because the church in Philadelphia has been um, faithful, mm-hmm. that he would be giving them the key of David, which opens the doors to Good. It has to be a very positive thing, and I think that I think you're putting your finger on it correctly. It does uh, put go back to Isaiah with uh, essentially uh, the one who is uh, second in charge, having uh, authority to to rule, authority to open and close. Uh, that makes sense here of Jesus being pictured that way as 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 well, uh, being the Son, and He has the authority and He has the key. By the way, hold that in your mind a little bit because. That's the same idea when Jesus talks to the apostles and tells Peter about the key. So now you're in command. You've got the authority. You've got charge. Same idea is happening there. Uh, but were, were, was there any uh, con- condemning air in this one? So it, it makes sense that you get this, this picture of Jesus saying, I've got the authority. I've got the keys. I have the power. 
and I can open doors and no one will shut it. And I, when I shut the door, no one opens it. And then he applies it straight away to them uh, in, in verse 8. What is he trying to get them to see? about? Since I have that authority and he doesn't have any, I know your works. And that doesn't turn out to be a bad thing like it did in the last letter that we saw last week. Uh, where he said, I know your works. And boy, did he know their works. It wasn't good. <laughs> now he knows their works and it is good. So what is that indicating to them? Kathy? Good. So it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing to them. Jesus is saying, I have the keys and I say the door is open for you and no one's going to close it. That's that's a great picture. No one's shutting this door on you. you. Access is not being taken away from you because I know I know your works that plays into a lot of what sounds like they're going through as you hear words of this patient endurance and an hour of trial and synagogue of saying there's a a lot that this group is is dealing with and so Jesus is walking into their difficulty and saying you don't need to be concerned about the peripherals and the physical and what everybody is doing to you spiritually the door is wide open and, and I'm the one in charge of that and I'm making sure that you're entering uh, through through that door Charlotte Yes, and that that is a, a, an interesting picture there in verse at the end of verse nine. I will make them come and, and bow down before you. Actually, let me hold that. Let's talk about the them. Back in the beginning of verse nine, who's the them? Who's who's the troublemaker? Okay, synagogue of Satan. We've seen that before. Here it comes in again. I, I noted this to you before. I want to note it to you again. The Jews are the present problem, and I think that's important to observe, is that I've always been troubled with interpretations of the book that ignore the Jewish persecution and Jewish problem, because the seven churches of Asia are pointing out that they're the problem, that they're repeatedly brought out as persecutors, troublemakers, people who are causing them problems. Somehow the book has to address them because they're the ones causing a lot of problems right now. To ignore them and shoot beyond them, I think, would miss an important component of something has to be done with them. They're the troublemakers right here. Uh, so I think that's important. So synagogue of Satan, is they, they say that they are Jews, but they are not. Do you think that they're like Gentiles acting like that they're Jews? Okay, so what, what does that mean? They say they're Jews, but they're not. Right. They say they're the people of God, but they're not the people of God. They, they're holding on to the, the physical image, but they're not really doing what God had told them to do throughout history. And uh, you see Jesus dealing with that. I mean, remember John the baptizer said that Jesus said that the apostles said that Paul said that. Uh, everybody in the New Testament is saying, you say that you are Jews, but you're not. You might remember the Apostle Paul in Romans 2 says, 
who are true Jews because they're false, these physical ones. So you're seeing that here, and you can probably imagine then what's kind of happening. And we're really the people of God. We're the ones who are going to enter the kingdom. We're the ones who have the access. We're the ones that were granted those promises, not you Gentiles. And Jesus is coming along and going, I've got the keys. And I say you're in, and they're liars, and they're not. And so you have an important, probable issue going on of what that might have looked like and why Jesus would speak to the church this, this way. Debbie? You think that that would be maybe Judaizers that were trying to get them to be circumcised? It could include them, because you certainly see that as a problem of the Jewish Christians even inflicting a lot of the the problems on on the Gentile Christians that the apostles are having to deal with, particularly Paul has to deal with that. So uh, it, it may in, in, include them. Um, I have a tendency to think that it really is uh, the actual Jews, though, that they are the, the, the persecutors. I mean, the book of Acts reveals that. They kill Stephen. They stone Paul and leave him for dead and drag him out of the city. They're the reasons why Paul has problems even with the Roman authorities. Why is Paul having problems in Jerusalem even with Rome? Not because of Rome, but because of the Jews handing him over to the Romans and saying, you know, he's a troublemaker and he's causing problems and all that. They're the ones that are really an an issue there, Janet. It could be. It could be. It is an interesting picture there in verse 8. I know that you have little power or limited strength, but you have kept my word and and not denied him. So I don't know if it's talking about maybe their physical size. It could be picturing they are so beaten down right now that they hardly have much go left. And he's trying to encourage them and say, you know, I, I know what you've done, even though your power is, is limited. Does well, one of the commentators makes reference to the fact that, that they're probably still trying to recover and preparing for future earthquakes. Sure, a bad earthquake in yeah. 17. That yeah, suffered a lot of damage. Yeah, in the first century, there's a lot of that going on. Problems with that. I, I see it too. That, I mean, whether there are many of them or not, if they're fighting the establishment, if you will, right. of the Jews, him saying that he's holds the key of David. These are. They can trace their bloodline Jews, right. and, and so they have no power. They can't break into that. They can't, you know, they right. can't convert from that. They can't do anything because they've got this establishment that's just knocking them down yeah. and criticizing them and things like that. Not so in that yeah. regard, they feel they have no power. They can't do anything. They can't go to whatever, mark whatever. Right. They can't do anything because, you know, the Jews are some people, they're worthless. They're yeah. nothing. They're pretending. Yeah, it, it sounds like what they're able to do against them is, is pretty serious, and I think that... Um, is exactly right, especially because of the phrase in verse 9. Now we get back to where Charlotte was. Uh, Make them come and bow down before your feet. Okay, that does have Old Testament language and, and reference, but it does make you wonder if somehow the Jews are imposing that kind of thing on these Christians that this is depicted as a reversal. You know, that they're doing these things to you, but... I'm going to make them bow down at your feet. And I don't think that that's a a literal idea, but like Isaiah 60 and verse 14, Isaiah 49, verse 23, Isaiah 45, verse 14. There's lots of 
passages in Isaiah that talk about in the Messianic kingdom, this idea of reversal, that those who are against you will then ultimately bow down before you. And it's not the people outside are going to do that, but talking about your victory, even though in the meantime, they seem to be winning or causing you problems or making you suffer, that reversal is going to happen. And so same thing here, Jesus saying, I'm going to make that reversal happen to you, Charlotte. Uh, That was one of the things that was very overwhelming about uh, the summer trip I got to do is I didn't have an accurate visualization of how steeped in various temple and altar worship a given city had that, you know, I I still just kind of had an idea of like, well, you know, there would be, you know, some over here and some over there, not like. Everywhere you walked was, was a different one and a different one and a different one. And then if it even got far enough, it was the same one over there. And it was just like, wow, uh, it was just overwhelming. So you have to have that in your minds about the kind of difficulties these Christians would be facing in a society that uh, it was more common than a grocery store to have them just surrounded in the kind of pagan worship that would have been going on. Clearly the Jews are, are, are part of the problem uh, with all of that. And you have to like the end of verse 9 because that's very much a picture of what Jesus and the apostles were trying to, to teach. Uh, they will learn that I have loved you. Jesus used it by saying the first will be last and the last will be first. Is that, you know, the Gentiles who were the last are going to actually be the ones in. Those who were first, the Jews, were actually going to be excluded because of their lack of faith. Paul would talk in the same way about, uh, like in Romans, and talking about how the Jews originally being grafted in have been pulled out. The Gentiles have been grafted in now. Uh, so same idea being pictured. They're going to see that you are chosen. You are good. They are going to see that I have uh, loved you. Yes. And then God through his circumstances of events. Yeah. And moves his finger and makes it happen. Yeah. Same thing can be happening here as as well. Um, tell me about the back in Revelation 3, round verse 10 through 13. Some of the things now that you see uh, Jesus saying is going to happen or he's going to do or what he expects of his people. Dennis? He's going to protect them or keep them from the hour of tribulation. Okay. This is an interesting phrase in the middle of verse 10. I will keep you from the hour of trial that's coming on the whole world. I, I am... Uh, pr- presupposing that that's, this might be where that song came from, the In the Hour of t- Trial uh, song, because that's about one of the places you can find that. Uh, what should we make of this? I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial that's coming on the whole world. How should we understand what's this talking about? And get an idea of, well, okay, what's what's about to happen here, Kathy? Okay, so certainly they're going to suffer, and we've seen that 
with so many of the, the letters to these seven churches. And there's nothing here that's saying it's going to be wonderful and better, even verse 10 when it talks about, uh, you've kept my word about patient endurance. Do you think things are going well if you're being told, I'm grateful for your patient endurance? Uh, this has been tough. They're, they're going through some pretty tough things. Uh, and he seems to be telling them, and more is coming. It's not going to get any better. There is this hour of trial uh, that's coming. Do you think it's only an hour? Okay. So again, just trying to give you a sense of even within the letters, there's symbolism. Just like remember in the la- uh, two letters ago, it was I'm going to put you in prison 10 days. And I said, I, I don't think that that's 10 days, but a definitive but long time. And the same thing here, hour of trial is not, well, hey, good news, guys. It's only going to be an hour. You can handle an hour. Uh, a definitive amount of time is going to come where you're going to be going uh, through these difficulties. Yeah, a call for them in that in that strength to be able to maintain. Uh, it, it is interesting that you know the New Testament isn't directly clear about well, here's exactly what's going to happen. But probably one of your best windows into what was potentially coming is in First Corinthians seven. You get halfway through that part, and Paul starts talking to people and saying, you know, if you're not married, you really shouldn't get married. Because things are going to get bad. And a person who's married has divided loyalties, you know, giving you the implication that you're going to be put to the test and it's going to come down to your spouse or your your faith. And he's saying, I don't want you to have that divided loyalty because of these these difficulties that were that are coming. And unfortunately, some people read that and go, see, it's better not to. That's not what he's talking about. There's this whole thing going on about things were going to get really, really bad. And you were better off kind of hunkering down rather than trying to move forward with uh, your normal life and prosperity. And, And this seems to be along the same lines that there is something coming against these Christians that is going to be severe And as you get through the book of Revelation, you get a sense of that because you do have slaughtered saints under the altar who are crying out for vengeance. You are reading about Christians who are suffering and and being persecuted, but it never comes out and says, let me give you the exact details of all of that. There was just something really bad coming that they needed to get ready for. And that's the picture here is you'll notice that verse 10 doesn't say, here's the hour of trial that's only going to come upon the church in Philadelphia. It was going to be empire-wide. It was going to affect everybody. All the Christians were going to have uh, this coming difficulty, this coming suffering. It'll be a long time before we're way out there much later in the book. But if you can keep that idea in your mind that you have here in these early chapters warnings about future persecution and future trouble coming as a, a Christian... I think that'll be helpful when you get out to like Revelation 17 and 18 and you start reading about some of the things that are out there. Now, that's the problem is chapter 17 and we're in three. There's going to be a lot of water that's going to go by before we get out there. But try to hold some of those ideas in your mind that the book is already picturing that these first century Christians 
have trouble coming. And I think that's important. You know, it's not just trouble and whatever long time down the road. He's telling them right here, I know your patient endurance and you've got an hour of trial coming still. There's still still more to be had. Now, another reason why that's really important, I wanted to zero in on this right here, is because I didn't bring it with me to hold in the air, but, you know, I've been showing you <clears throat> the Tim LaHaye premillennial, pre-tribulation, premillennial point of view. They read this hour of trial that's coming on the whole world as having not yet come yet and is referring to that pre-tribulation chaos when the world goes completely mad time frame. What about this text would tell you it can't be talking about that? Yeah, Micah? There's a verse that Paul talks about um, being the last hour already. Yeah. Okay, one, we're already in those things, and John talks about that last hour. Absolutely. Yep, Janet? It says he's coming soon. Okay. This is, certainly has something in dealing, dealing with them. I think it's important to think about when you read verse 10, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you... From the hour of the trial. Can the hour of trial be 2,000 years later? If Jesus told them, because of your patient endurance, I will keep you. No. You can't take that line and go, well, that's going to be, you know, whenever that finally happens, 2,000 years. He was talking to them. He was telling them, you're going to be in the hour of trial. You're going to be the one who's going to be going through this. You know, can you imagine if, a, if you had a letter come to you and said, oh, I'm grateful for your endurance in the faith. And when that hour of trial comes in the year 4023, uh, you, you would just be like, well, that ain't bothering me any. <laughs> no, I'm not worried about the hour of trial in 4023. Long gone by now. No worries. I, do not care what it's going to be like then. It doesn't make any sense to be writing this personal letter to this church and telling them what they're going through and what they're about to go through and then lift a line out because it says it's coming on the whole world and now make that a pre-tribulation, you know, chaotic seven years of, of... Why? The text doesn't ask you to do that, does it? It's clearly talking to them. And so we can't lose context just because we get excited about an hour of trial coming upon the whole world. New Testament shows that we're going to have that, as I mentioned, with, with the Apostle Paul. Mike? Well, uh, just to comment on your point, if the hour of trial is judgment, they don't fit. Yeah, exactly. It, it doesn't work, right? And that's, that's kind of the problem with a lot of these things. Uh, is is trying to jam these kind of ideas out of these these texts. It makes it messy, and I, I agree with you. If you're talking about something way on down the road, it, it doesn't work right here. It, it doesn't make sense to them. It's great to sell books, though. It does sell lots of books. In fact, millions of books. It does. It uh, it gets people very excited, and it's so much more boring to be like, well, it was talking to them. Somehow it has to be to them. They're the ones that were going to go through the hour of trial, uh, and it was going to be a testing, as verse 10 says, that was going to come upon uh, the whole earth. All right. Uh, questions about that? Nathan. Did you 
you have kept the word of my perseverance, this is kind of a, a blessing mm-hmm. uh, on, on the church in, in um, Philadelphia because of their faithfulness. So they were going to be kept from. So they were not going to experience the, because my reading is that this, this whatever is coming is to test those who dwell on the earth. Yeah. And in Revelation, those who dwell on the earth are always yeah. on the evils. Yeah. It is never, it's, it's never a reference to the faithful. So, so, so it, it had to be speaking specifically to to, to the faithful believers. Yeah. In so I can't say oh, this would be very distant. No, it wouldn't it work that be, way. Be, uh, because they were going to be right. part of the blessing yeah and wouldn't it be wonderful if we could know exactly how they were kept from the hour of trial exactly you know I'd like to know what that exactly looked like I, I don't envision that everybody else was you know go, doing uh, so poorly and they're like I don't know what 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 it's bad outside I don't even know what you're talking about it's been doing great they have to be affected to some degree but somehow are being preserved through that, whether that be in their physical life, uh, whether he's only talking about their spiritual rescue and their maintaining of faith. But they, they are being given something where God is saying, I'm alleviating it to some degree for, for you because, because of your faithfulness. But you're not told exactly, well, what does that, that look like? And that will come along later on in the book as well, where you'll talk about, well, those who don't have the mark are going to go through this, but they're not going to have that. Okay, well, h- how deep was that? How, how far-reaching was, was that? Because uh, when you have, like in Ezekiel and you have in other places where you have God's people being marked... That didn't mean that they didn't experience Babylon's invasion and all the difficulties that came with with that invasion. And so similarly, I think even in spite of them being told, I'm going to keep you, that doesn't mean that they're going to be immune from Jewish persecution. They're already in the middle of it. Whatever this hour of trial that's coming that Paul writes and says is going to be really, really bad Okay, they're going to still see that, still be alive when all those things happen. So kind of keep that in mind is that he doesn't really say, well, how far reaching those things are, are ultimately going to look. Now, obviously, they're being persecuted, but to what extent, if, if you know, I don't know, look at like the Nero, or that stuff, does that persecution yep. go to that next level? Right. Or they're being killed at the end, it sort of refers to that in chapter 13. Right. Yeah, we don't know. And that's the thing is, one of the things that is, has been so curious is, is that not only because of a text like this, but uh, other places in, in Revelation where you're going to see Christians persecuted, there is this strong feeling to try to make it as imminent as possible. And so some have tried to drum up a, a big Nero persecution, which... at least what we know historically was pretty well maintained to Rome only and was not empire-wide. So then we're like, well, what about Domitian? It's Domitian. Well, we don't have actually any evidence of Domitian doing a empire-wide persecution either. There's been a lot of backfilling trying to make something exist in the first century. But keep in mind, if you are writing to late first century Christians, whenever this is written, remember we've got this thrown in the air, whether it's 70 AD, 90 AD, I don't care. You have a long time to still be in your lifetime. 
you can move into the second century quite easily and be alive for the things that are going to happen. That's not hard. You can get well into 130, 140, all of that, and still have this apply to the things that are happening in your lifetime and the things that are going on and our tribulations coming. So that's why when we were back in the introduction, I said, keep in mind that this is prophecy. And sometimes what people do is they'll hit a line like this and go, okay, I've got to find the historical data point to jam this event into when he doesn't tell you, well, what exactly it is. So it may not be near, it may not be Domitian, it may be pointing to something else. Maybe it is Trajan, you know. You've got lots of opportunities for Roman persecution, and you already have lots of Jewish persecution going on that, that's presently there. And so to have to try to feel more comfortable about the text, because you can write down, well, in 96 AD, da-da-da happened. We don't know that that's what I was talking about. Whatever it is, it's going to be pretty severe. Ariel? It could be. Sure. And some of it is even knowing ahead of time what's about to happen and the preparation and getting ready for that. Just like Jesus with the destruction of Jerusalem. When you see these things, run to the hills, get away, you know, trying to give them those advantages. And that, that could be a part of it as well. And, and that's why I, I bring that up is we're just not told specifically, well, what is the keeping from the hour of trial? We don't know. <laughs> We know God did something for them, (laughs) but whatever that was, we're not specified. And here's exactly what I will do for you. You know, there was a faith that was to exist that God was going to help them through the circumstances that they were going uh, to to experience. Yeah, well, it's probably probably worse than that. Is you have the sun and a third of the stars, and, right? Right, and that's what you have to keep in mind again is the the imagery of what's being depicted and trying to keep that in mind because that that's right. Sometimes we kind of lose that along the way of well, these are big pictures of persecution, big pictures of trouble that's coming upon uh, the Christians at this time. Okay. Uh, verses 11 through 13 here, the, the last few things. Tell me some of the things about what he tells them to do. Uh, what are the benefits, the results, <clears throat> things like that as we wrap up this part of uh, the church in Philadelphia. But well, we do know Christians individually and the church are the temple of God. Yes. Yes. You'll notice that this one, this letter ends with a lot of vivid imagery, doesn't it? Uh, You have in verse uh, uh, 11 uh, that no one will seize your crown. Verse 12, make you a pillar in the temple of my God. Uh, Verse uh, 12, write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God and my own new name. There's a a lot of visuals on this one. So how should they have heard this? What would they have been understanding by using these four different visuals about uh, what God was going to do for them because of their patient endurance and maintaining uh, faith, Debbie? Well, verse 11 is sort of like keep up the good work because you're going to kind of 
Yes. Yeah, a, a lot of keep keep going, verse 11, hold fast to what you have. And I'm coming soon. Let, let's, let's make sure we remembered this from back really early in chapter 1. So when God says he's coming, what should be in your mind? Not the end of the world. Not, okay, we worked hard on. God says a lot of times about he's coming, and that's not always saying final judgment into the world. We have like this mental default because <laughs> I'm coming soon. Must be the end of the world. Well, hold on, hold on. God said he was coming an awful lot of times. Remember, um, I showed you Matthew 26, Jesus talking to Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, the high priest there, and said, you will see me coming in the clouds. Okay, well, Caiaphas is still not alive. <laughs> so... Coming, coming in the clouds, God coming always is a reference to a judgment, but it's not specific as to what can be final judgment, but not always. It can refer to individual judgments or national judgments. So keep that in mind when you say, I want you to hold on through the difficulty. I'm going to do something. I, I am coming soon. It's not going to just keep going on and on and on. I am going to act. And those who hold fast to what you have, no one then will will seize your crown. So it is. It's keep doing what you're doing. Because earlier he told them in verse 10, I know your patient endurance. You've kept my word patiently. So don't stop doing that because I am going to act. I am going to bring a judgment. I am going to do something against these. And this is one of the reasons why... The, who did we say the troublemaker is in this letter right now to them? So you can see that there could be something coming more quickly in dealing with them and the persecution that they're giving against against Christians. You still have a destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. You have Hadrian who will bulldoze Jerusalem again about 60 years after that. And so you have a judgments that will happen against the Jewish nation repeatedly in the first and the second century that this could be looking at and say, I'm going to deal with them. I, I am going to come soon. I am going to deal with these, these persecutors. Mike, did you have something? Yeah, I like uh, in, in the ministry, um, just from the building That's right. You're shaking the, the, the rafters. Uh, and the other thing, if you had doubt on whose you are, you had chisel onto you or grand onto yeah. you three things. I'm going to uh, write the name of my God and the city of my God and my own new name. Yeah. So you have all these multiple connections where there's no doubt to whose you, know, you are. Yes. It, it was really an interview. Uh, yes. You do have to really love this pillar imagery. If you're a pillar in the temple, are you getting removed? Uh, no. That goes back to the self-description. I'm opening the door. No one's shutting it, right? I'm saying you're in, and no one's going to remove that. You're not going to be taken out of that. Now, see how that really works. No one's going to remove you of belonging to me, no matter what these Jews who are false say, no matter what this persecution is, no matter how severe the hour of trial is upon you, no matter what comes against you, 
You are still having the open door. You still are a pillar in my temple. You are this permanent fixture that cannot be moved. That's a a great picture. And I hope you see the reality of that's a picture to us of you hold fast and stay faithful. You've got that same idea. No matter what happens in this world, whether you lose your life or things get bad or the hour of trial or whatever goes on, you're this permanent fixture. The juxtaposition, too, is then having little power. Yeah. The pillar is all strength. Strength. Yeah, absolutely. Critical strength, right? Yeah. Yeah, I know that you have little power, but I'm going to give you the strength that you need. I'm going to make you this... Uh, pillar, And then why all the naming? Why the name of my God, the name of the city, and uh, my own new name? Why, why are we talking names here? I think this, what Evan was saying, they had strength because they had no influence because they're fighting the Jewish machine tied to David. But now he's saying, I'm putting my name on you, showing their insignificance. Yes. They don't have my name. Yes. You have my name because that was so meaningful to those people. Yes, at absolutely. Time. <laughs> Name, I don't know that it always conjures all the great ideas of what God wants us to, to get. We kind of go, oh, yeah, and you're going to have a new name. New name is so much about identity. That's what Jenny's talking about here is, is who you belong to, who you are. One of my favorite images of this, it's been around long enough, maybe everybody's seen Toy Story. <laughs> There's this whole moving, weeping scene in the, in the movie when the toys are lost and they're able to look on the bottom of their foot and it says Andy on the toy. Why is it such a big deal that Andy's name is on the toy? Why are they so emotional about that? Because you belong to him and you're a prized possession. Having a name means I care about you. You belong to me. You're my prized people. I'm aware of you. Name is a really, really big deal to say, I've got my name on you. You belong. He knows who you are. He took the Sharpie out and went. (laughs) So he cares what's happening. And that's, I think, so vivid here with all the the trouble that they were going to go through to say, I've written my name on you and the name of the city is on you. You belong in every way and that door is open and it cannot be closed. Yes, sir. Name means authority also. Yes, it is. We used to say stop in the name of the That's Lord. right. And the, the name just doesn't mean as much in our vernacular right. anymore as it does here. Right. It, it absolutely does. It carries authority. It, it carries meaning. We, we, go, we, we give our kids names because it sounds good. You know, they did names because of what the names meant. That's why Jose is so great when he names his kids, you know, scattered and, and uh, not mine. And you know, like, wow, <laughs> it's unbelievable names that are being given to your kids here because it's representing something. Well, I'm going to give you a new name, which remember, Jesus liked to do that. Peter's not Peter's name. <laughs> Jesus comes along and goes, I'm going to give you a new name. You're not going to be Simon. You're going to be Rock. Uh, that's your new name. So that's you're getting a new name as well. Dathan, did you have a name? This took me back to Genesis. Um, you know, where Adam was asked to, to name the, the God's creation as a sign of, of authority. But, but also um, the, the idea of personal, you know, in, in marriage, for example, yep. 
two becomes one, and therefore you have you have that name. Mm -hmm. And 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 so you know, just to go back to Genesis, that's what I thought here. This, this this new name, this authority, it's ownership. Yeah. To say you belong to me. Yes. God is saying you, that name it will signify that we belong to. Absolutely. You know, the book of Genesis is great about that because God liked changing people's names there. We can't call you uh, uh, Abram. You need to be Abraham. Can't be Sarah. You got to be Sarah. In fact, we're going to call Eve Eve because she's going to be the mother of, uh, of all living. Jacob, that's not your name. You're going to now be Israel because you wrestled with God. You're always trying to communicate a message in a new name. It's, it's, it's God's really laying that idea out of uh, I have the authority of that name. I, I have the identity on that name. You're the prized possession. And, and usually those names represented future blessing, right? You know, Abram is, is called like a father of many nations, even though he has no children. What? Okay. <laughs> you know, can you imagine those conversations? Hello, father of many nations, where are your children? I don't have any yet. Uh, you know, that future hope of what God was going to do, Debbie. Get a new name, right? And, and that the, all of these, I think, images are, are are powerful, and I think that's a good one as well. That that verse twelve is really trying to to conjure up who we are and, and the permanence of what we have. Charlotte, what is my new name? We don't know. Or right? Is it Christian? No, it doesn't say. Right? You know, we, we just you've. I think more the idea of possession and identity is, is it's not necessarily particular to what the name is, but I'm the one that gave it to you. Uh, so I think that's that's more the idea because no, there's no, you know. Well, here's and here here's what it is. You're not going to be called Prince. You're going to be. It. If, they, if, it, if it was written here, we would trivialize it. Probably right. Sure, that's probably right. Yeah, I'm curious to the idea of adoption. Yeah, adoption. Right. Exactly. As you have to remember, you're, you're well into the first century, maybe even late first century. They already have name the way the Christian, you know, they were first called Christians in Antioch. So I don't think it's that because they're already possessed that. I think it's, again, that like Evan said, you're talking about this. You belong to me. <laughs> I want you to know that you have my name, which is fitting because remember, what did he tell them at the end of verse 9 that these Jewish persecutors are going to learn? That I loved you. You're mine. They say you're not mine, but you're mine. I've written my name on you. You belong to me. You're in. You're a temple pillar. You have the doors open. So I think it's just communicating that, that, that message through those images. Yeah. I like the comment about Genesis uh, it just made me think. Remember whenever God talked to Moses and he's introducing himself. That's right. He introduces himself to the people and he gives them a name that's special. Yes. It, it kind of reminds me of this. Yeah. And it, what's interesting is that name was so special to the Jews, they wouldn't even write it. Couldn't even say it. Name, yeah. Right? And I, it makes me think that we should have the same kind of appreciation yeah. of what's being promised here. Yeah. For a future reference. 
Yeah, it's a beautiful picture. It, it really is. Good, good point. Uh, I only have a minute left. Anything else in this in this paragraph in this letter that you see here, or questions that you have a, a, about that, Nathan? The, the, the Boeing Dome. You know, where um, Jesus promised that he was going to let them bow down. The the idea. I wonder whether it could be that the very synagogue of faith and the Jews that that, that they were going to be converted. You know, I, I don't know. That was just one thought um, um, that I that I read from a commentator, which mm. I thought um, had some credibility. Sure. Now, certainly, God's constant effort has been to to save them. Right. I mean, that's 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 all throughout. Uh, the New Testament, and even uh, the Apostle Paul finally shaking dust off his feet and saying, I'm going to the Gentiles, because there has been such a concerted effort for decades to try to bring them uh, into the kingdom of God. Miriam? Uh, being a pillar makes me think that that involves a lot of responsibility. Sure. Sure. It, it, it ties closely to like what Peter talked about, of being built up as spiritual stones. You're a part of the temple. You're a part of the structure. You have a critical uh, responsibility and accountability and activity of belonging as God's people. And I think that's exactly right. It's not just, you know, you're a hammock in God's temple. You know, it's <laughs> you're a pillar. You, you, have, you play an important part and an important role. It's not one of just comfort uh, and ease. I think that's a good point. Um, so we're out of time. I'll just give you just as, a, as an encouragement to... Uh, uh, the picture there of, of verse 11, uh, hold fast to what you have so no one takes your crown. It's like, like you know, the, the crown's already reserved for you. Don't let anybody take it away from you because you haven't held fast. Hold on. The crown's yours. Hold on. You belong. Hold on. The door's open. Hold on. You're a, a, a pillar in the temple. Hold on. You have a new name. Don't give up. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in our in our lesson this morning. Oh, Debbie, Can go ahead. No, you cannot. Go ahead. When it says hold on so that no one will take it, we need to realize that we can lose that crown. That's right. That's right. As he's getting, don't give up now, right? You've done so well, don't give up now. Even though an hour of trial is coming, don't give up yet. I think that's exactly right. All right, Lord willing, next Sunday, Church of Laodicea, the final church of the seven churches of Asia. 14-minute break. We'll reconvene at 1030 for our next hour. Thank you, everybody. Appreciate your comments. Great class.